Yeah, they say they want this more science, so I'ma give it to them. Islamism, no illusions when I'm interviewing. Know what I'm doing, no confusion, I ain't in the cooning. I'm in the moving units, out here starting revolutions. In love with shooters, making masterminds out the goonies. I got a booming out here zooming on the plane of soul. I tell them, take me to the grove, they like Islam mode. I'm letting them know this not a show, this all systems go. It's two cells, one man, both high and low. I'm so spiritual, the indigo spit a vibe. I'm so lyrical, a miracle that I survive. It's then my five to the four, I can see them coming. Plus, my angel got the angle with the engine running. It's all justice, freedom, peace, truth, and love. Peace to the gods. Uh huh. Wings spread wide, coming through angelic. Uh -huh. Frankincense and myrrh be the essence, you can smell it. Rocking different color stones, niggas think I'm psychedelic. Asiatics can never be gods, let them tell it. Cosmetically groomed, suede blazer with suede shoes. Smooth, don't have to prove that I pay dues. My track record speaks for itself. You hear the language, the dignity you see me with now. Came in the game with, I hang with Imperial nobles, wine Kenobis. Light bodies, etherically mobile, spiritual OGs. Riding around. My words become things, all hell, the king, now I got him walking on water Covered in the blood of the Christ, a rubber glove and a knife Prophet Muhammad came to restore the order Spectators sit back and watch, slave ships pull off the dock Demigods round up the flock, time running short Got a race against the hands of the clock 2020-something, pull it off the lot Posted on any block, do say a henny shot Pour a libation for the fallen, it's been a lot of death Theft, right over left, hard of a line, line right under my chest That's a godlike, God prolific, godlike God Money longer than sloth and the flock type Meditation, slap boxing with Satan Cracking the All right. All right, peace, Morris. Peace. I'm glad everybody's here. Uh, today, we're going to be going over the whole entire Morris paradigm, specifically dealing with the Moors in America or the Moors in the Americas. We're going to go over this thoroughly, and I think this is going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people, regardless of what background you come from, regardless of how much research you've done on the Moors. So we're going to go into this, not limited to historical, um, the historical perspective, but just showing how all of this pertains to the people claiming to be of Moorish descent today. I know people have heard all types of stuff hear people saying that Egypt is in America America is Morocco so called black people are indigenous to the Americas we see so much and so what we want to do here is make sense out of it because even though those things may sound crazy or may sound incredible to some people there is much validity to it and so good evening listening to the true and living light bringer boys in america as always i'm your brother lloyd douglas also known as sharif ali here what we do is uncover and bring glorious light to all issues all issues pertinent to the moorish american paradigm that's what we do right here on this podcast known as moors in america so hopefully everyone is having a great evening um right now for me for us at the moment it's black history month and so I think it's of the utmost importance that we come in and set things straight. 
So if you wouldn't mind, make sure you share this. I see all the people here. <laughs> Gratitude for the love. Gratitude. Um, please hit that like, the love button, and also share this. Share this on Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. Share it. We're going to go in. So don't go anywhere. We're not going to take a whole long time, but we're going to go in. We're just going to be hitting on all the points. You don't want to miss this. So, yeah. Um, hello. Peace and love. Just hit that like or love. Love is even better. And hit that share button. Um, if you're subscribed on YouTube, make sure you hit the button that says notifications. You see how it says hit that bell? Make sure you do that because... Um, well, some people, some subscribers, they're not getting the notifications when we go live. So make sure you hit that button. Not really sure what that's about, but uh, make sure you hit the button. And uh, when we come back, we're going in. So don't go anywhere. Peace. Spending power, but we still sit at a deficit Living amongst prejudice, even at our residence Moors in America, flourishing, excellent Let's buy up some neighborhoods and grow my own president 
Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, I really just wanted to make sure everybody could hear. So it looks like, looks like we good. Okay, so um, we're speaking about the Moors, specifically the Moors in America, Moorish Americans. And um, what you see up here on the screen, um, on the left, you see a man named Noble Drew Ali. For us, for the so-called Black people, Black Americans, African Americans, whatever, he's our prophet. This was a man who was born in North Carolina. Now you see this, um, this is allegedly a quote from the prophet where he said that he took the covers off of all of the secret organizations. All right, and I just wanted to start off with this because I think this is really important for us to understand what we are really dealing with here when we speak about this man, okay? Um, that image that's on the right of him where you see this eye of providence and then you see the two pillars and then underneath it you see this five-pointed star with this red background right it looks a lot like the moorish flag you even have the little shadow lines coming down from the eye that makes it look like the folds in a flag so it looks very much like the moroccan flag or for us um, we will call it the moorish flag i wanted to show you um show everybody something just briefly. So I'm not, you know what? You may not be able to hear this audio, okay? But you can see the subtitles up here. Basically, they're inside of, excuse me, Morris. So they're inside of a lodge. And the lodge that they're inside of is the oldest lodge in the world. It's in, actually it's in London, right? And so this is the oldest Freemasonic lodge in the world. And it has, regardless of what anybody else tells you, it has the Moroccan flag right there. Plain is, and simple, like plain as day for anyone with eyes to see. 
you know that that's your flag. Okay, so I'm going to explain why you see things like this taking place, because um, you also have um, Shriners uh, once people reach the 32nd degree or for I think for Prince Hall Masons, once they reach the third degree, um, they're able to go into the shrine. And in the shrine, you'll see them wearing the same thing that you'll see me wearing, or that you'll see other Moors wearing, which is the headdress. The headdress is called a fez. All right. So we're going to explain why all of these things take place. We're going to make sense of all of this. Right. But I wanted to start off just with some of the signs and symbols that take place right in front of our face that most of us don't recognize. We don't understand what's really going on. So if you rewind a little bit back to the year 2020, when Trump was the president of the United States, um, he told he made a statement telling African-Americans to understand their history or that they will you will go back to it again right so it was just a blanket statement understand your history or you will go back to it again and um not soon or not long after that he also recognized the sovereignty of morocco over western sahara now pretty much every president every sitting president has to recognize the relationship between Morocco and the United States. Morocco, which at that time wasn't a nation state like it is today in North Africa, it was an empire. And the empire actually had several, um, several different states or several different um, kingdoms that were a part of it. Morocco's sultan recognized the United States Back in 1777, they were the first nation to recognize the United States. And so they always pay honor to this. Always. Right. And as uh, this as you can see in this tweet, um, Donald Trump recognized Morocco's sovereignty over Western Sahara, which was like a newer nation or country that was formed in North Africa. Right. And they're like fighting over um, territory and um, or borders. And he's recognizing Morocco's sovereignty over that area, which would be actually um, in Arabic, it would be called the Maghreb Alaska, right? The, the Maghreb, which is Morocco of the furthest west. One, we're gonna We're gonna make sense of this, how this applies to us. So we wanna connect these dots because no one else is going to do this for us. So all of these things happen, and um, it doesn't look like it's, it's talking about us, right? It doesn't look like it's even referring to us at all, but it is. It is. <coughs> we're going to show why. Okay, so we're going to connect these dots. Just want to real quick just show you something real briefly, right? Because anyone who's, I guess, who was a child in the 90s, you may have seen the Where's Waldo, the puzzle, right, where you see him. Or, or you don't see him, right? You, you're supposed to be looking for him, and he's in the puzzle with all this stuff going on, right? But the whole time, he's right there. But you can't see it because there's all these other distractions, right? And it's always like that. Like, you, you can't tell where he is in here till you see somebody pointed out to you. So this is what the Prophet Noble Drew Ali did. He came and showed us who we truly are. And once you know what's really going on, you, you can't... You can't unsee it. 
now you see what's really going on at all times. Nobody can pull the wool over your eyes. That's why, and I wanted to show that image with the quote where it says he pulled the cover off of all the secret organizations, right? So in the year 1928, we actually have our own Independence Day, all right, which is actually July 20th. But in 1928, later on that year in October, Prophet Noble Drew Ali actually declared us a nation within the United States of America, and it wasn't considered treasonous. It wasn't considered an act of treason, but we're going to explain why. So this man, with all of these people, he had delegates from several states, delegates from several states that were representatives of the Asiatic states of North America came to Chicago for this annual convention, right? And also to announce to the world with the um, parade who they are declaring themselves as Moorish Americans. And just look at the top of some of the people that came, Louis B. Anderson, he was an alderman of the second ward, Honorable Daniel Jackson, committee in the second ward, Illinois Commerce uh, Commissioner, Oscar the Priest, well, who actually was elected to Congress, uh, Jesse Binga, president of Binga State Bank, and several other state reps, okay? But nobody talks about this. Every February, every Black History Month, we learn about the same people. Um, Frederick Douglass, you learn about Martin Luther King and several other people. I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn about these people. I'm just saying they don't say anything. Nobody says anything about Prophet Noble Drew Ali. And that's not an indictment of the teachers because they don't know as well. So who hid what this man did? Nobody even talks about it or even why it would be important for us to be declared a nation. So um, as I mentioned at that first convention, October 17th, he draped the flag, the um, American flag around a little boy, Moorish flag around a little girl, and then announced to the members of the Moorish Science Temple of America, I've made you a nation within the nation. He wasn't hiding. This wasn't something done in secret that was against the government. It was, and it wasn't considered treason. Okay, so there's nothing to be secretive about. It was announced in the open. Matter of fact, this same man also went overseas and represented us and was received as a head of state. But nobody talks about this. Nobody talks about this. So uh, I see uh, some of the questions in the chat, uh, King T. Yeah, hang on, just don't go anywhere. We're gonna explain why more say that this is Morocco. Because even a, a lot of Moors don't know. They don't understand why. So we will explain that. We will get to that. Don't go anywhere. Um, but I do ask that everybody here hits the like or the love button. And then also turn around and share this video. Okay. So we're going to make sense out of all of that. Believe it or not, we will make sense of it. Okay. So peace uh, to everybody. Showing the love. We are going to explain why more say that this is Morocco. Speaking about the North America. Okay, so just going back, let me go back to that previous slide. Uh, so this parade where he draped the American flag of the Stars and Stripes around a little boy and a Moorish flag around a little girl and then announced us that he made us a nation. 
right? This wasn't just for show. This was a formal declaration. It When it was done, even though they don't say a peep about it, it put the government and the citizens of America on notice that the Moors had risen again in this hemisphere, this hemisphere, right? So this was a formal declaration of our nationhood and independence. Back in that time, in the 1920s, our people had dignity. Um, this was pre-integration. And guess what? Pre-integration, we had our own towns. We had our own cities. We had our own businesses, our own school districts, our own, our own buses, like city buses. We had everything, everything that we needed. Right? You had the... Um, so-called black police officers. I'm saying so-called because we shouldn't go by black, Negro, colored, African-American, foundational black Americans, ADOS, none of that stuff. We shouldn't. But I'm just saying, like our people had dignity. You see the women, they're fully dressed. They're not scantily clad, right? The men wearing suits, even the babies, right? Even the babies are dressed nice. It looks like this in the bottom left, the lady... Um, holding a baby looks like that. It's a little girl wearing a dress, and then even, then most of the women even had their hair covered, like co covered, right? So we dressed up nice, and um, you know this is in general. Plus we had our own businesses, so you know we were more in the mindset of doing for ourselves, right? So um, once again, though, even every every year Black History Month comes. And we still don't understand why it would even be necessary to declare us a nation, for us to move as a nation, for us to see ourselves as a nation, right? Because all of this is hidden. So the Prophet Noble Drali effectively declared our independence and established our line of descent. And we're going to show why all that's important. Like I said, too, we're going to show why we say this is Morocco, right? And this brother... He's not even mentioned in the mainstream society. A lot of times you don't even hear people say a peep about them unless they're trying to throw dirt on them, unless they're trying to throw dirt on the Moors. Right. So who we truly are, how we fit into this, this um, society, how we truly fit in. It's all been hidden here the whole time, but nobody's going to come out and tell you where it's at. Just like you see Walt over here, you might be able to see him now with the circle. Right. So we're in Black History Month. And Black History Month, as you can see up here at the top, they start us off as slavery. Literally start us off as slavery. Slavery, 1700s, 1800s. That's it. That's as far back as we go. Moorish history much, much, much older, okay? We're talking thousands of years, possibly even more than that. Our story does not start with slavery. You go to PBS, you look up black history. A lot of people doing that right now for this month. People even getting this and putting it in the classrooms, talking about it with the children. When you look at the history, you're going to get the slavery story, slavery and the making of America. Now, I'm not saying that the slave trade didn't happen. I'm just saying that's not where our story starts. It's not. 
but this is where they start us off for a reason. Okay. Um, saw this on Twitter. I think a lot of people, more people need to know about this. This was some African and black history page on Twitter. And look at this. It says on this day in 1619, the first black slaves landed in Jamestown, Virginia. The history of black America began. Each and every one of us should be doing the head palm right now. Right. And look at this page. It has 400,000 followers. 400,000 followers. I don't know if this is ran by people of European descent, by, you know, by people of African descent. I have no idea. All I know is that they're saying 1619 is when the history of black America began, when the first black slaves landed in Jamestown. And you go right back to um, PBS. This is a screenshot from PBS. Um, you see how they say 1619? That's where the timeline begins, right? So this is where the history of Black America began with slavery, which is ridiculous. And it's, it's insane that this is still being taught to this day and that people are still being led astray. But come on, y'all. Nobody's going to tell the truth except for the Moors. No one. So everybody watching, make sure you hit that like and love button and hit the share button. Come on, share this, help to get this out because nobody else is telling the truth. Everybody's trying to start us off at slavery. The people who want to jump to, who realize that, hey, they didn't bring us all over on slave ships. Now they want to be Cherokee and all of these other things. And that's fine and all, but we go back even further than that. Right. Because all of these tribes will tell you they didn't build the mounds. They didn't build the pyramids. We go back even further than that. So why does everyone start us off as slavery? So we're looking at some laws. We're looking at the Negro law of South Carolina. This act from 1740 declared all Negroes and Indians to be slaves. Now, that's the very first section. It declared all Indians and Negroes to be slaves. And then on section two, it says under this provision, it has been uniformly held that color is prima facie evidence. That means color is the main evidence that the party bearing the color of a Negro, mulatto, or mestizo is a slave. Now, Negro, mulatto, or mestizo pretty much covers a wide range of skin tones, right? The Negro you're talking about well, what they're trying to insinuate is dark, dark brown skin, mulatto. They're talking about light skin, almost, you know, could pass for white. And then mestizo, they're talking about people who, you know, light brown, just tan um, skin tone. So they're trying to cover the whole range. And the mestizo, specifically, these are the people who today they would classify as Native Americans, right? Tan skin maybe straight black hair, or straight brown hair. These are people. So they're trying to say everybody bearing the color of a Negro, mulatto, or mestizo is a slave. But the same prima facie result does not follow from the Indian color. Now, the Indian color, if you go to the Webster's Dictionary, um, 1828, you go to the old dictionary, like this is like one of the first real solid dictionaries put out. And it described Americans. And when you look at the description for American, the uh, definition, it said, applies 
to originally apply to the copper tone people who lived here, but now the aboriginals, but now applies to the descendants of Europeans born in America. Okay, so this is saying that same prima facie result does not follow from the Indian color. So the Indian color was known to be copper, dark brown. Okay, but they're saying that now that is evidence that you are a slave. In other words, a Negro, because this is called the Negro law. So it's putting everybody into that Negro category. All right. And then section four, it says the term Negro is confined to slave Africans. You started slavery. You're an enslaved African. It says in parentheses, the ancient Berbers and their descendants. Now, the Berbers, you're talking about Moors, but they're saying they're, they're now branding you as slaves. It does not embrace the free inhabitants of Africa, such as the Egyptians, Moors, or the Negro Asiatics, such as the Lascars. So it's letting you know that, hey, we, we, are, we are branding all of you as enslaved Africans. Doesn't matter if you're light, you're dark, whatever, right? It's like the one drop rule. They're saying you're all slaves. You all descend from enslaved Africans. Don't care what you claim. Don't care if you speak the language of the indigenous people. None of that matters. You are a slave. You descend from enslaved Africans. That's it, right? But they had to put that little disclaimer. It does not embrace the free inhabitants of Africa and they got the Moors in there, right? Why? Well, let's see, because um, they didn't even have, they at that point in time, 1740, they weren't even recognized by anyone else as a nation, right? As an independent nation. The first one to recognize them was the Sultan of Morocco. So, let's skip forward uh, maybe 100 years. In the 1800s, you had the Black Codes, which weren't that different than the Negro Codes because they're further confining the, um, the abilities of these people that they have branded as Negroes, as enslaved Africans, right? And so there were actually several laws, several acts like this to define and confine the so-called Negro. That's what it was all about. So the Black Codes, right, they're getting passed. The Negro laws, the black codes, they're also called slave codes from uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. Slave code is a code word for black code, right? During 1780 through 1864, some 1,418 slaves were convicted of crimes. And so they're making it illegal for you to read, illegal for you to own property, to vote, all of these things. And meanwhile, they're also re- classifying everybody as negroes all right so the black codes these are numerous laws enacted in the states of the former confederacy after the civil war to further confine the abilities of these people that they have classified as negroes all right and so just in case anybody's trying to say that's old news that's the 1700s this is the 1800s what does that have to do with me? Well, you have Federal Directive 15, which is still in effect. And it on, on the surface, it seems like something innocent. Oh, this is just the government's way of classifying all the races, right? This is just how the government classifies all the different ethnic backgrounds, because that's what you'll see when you're looking up Federal Directive 15. They, you know, they're just classifying 
all the different people that live in this nation, right? And that's fine. I mean, you could say that and you could believe it's that simple if you want. But even if it was, why are the so-called black African-Americans the only ones that are not listed as being connected to an original people? Why did they single those people out? Especially if it's what they're trying to say. It's just innocent. There's nothing to see here. Don't worry about that. Why does everybody else have origins in an original people of some part of the world, except for the so-called black or African-American? The black or African-American has origins in any of the black racial groups of Africa. Everybody else, instead of racial groups, it says original peoples. So we don't have human rights. So it's not a coincidence. Right. The definition of black is right in alignment with these Negro laws and black codes. They're not going to say a black a person having origins in the, the enslaved Africans. They've already said that. So they had to update it. And the last time they updated this was in the 1970s. Right. And it's still in effect. They haven't changed it since then. So it says black racial groups of Africa. Everyone else is an original people of somewhere. Okay, and it's saying in here the directors precise provide standard classifications for record keeping, collection, presentation of data on race and ethnicity and ethnicity in federal program administrative reporting and statistical activities. So, and they let you know that these should not be interpreted as scientific or anthropological in nature. This is something that they just made up and put on us. This is why it's so important just going back to um what the prophet did this is why it's so important that he declared us a nation they created some category for us that disconnected us from the family of humans most of us are unaware or don't even still don't see the importance of this right but this is still in effect so these negro laws and acts that they passed they're still in effect the wording has just been updated updated for modern times. So what does it even mean to be black black or African-American? Because I mean, they, they're saying that we have origins in the black racial groups when everyone else comes from an original people. So why would they say black racial groups, right? Why would they say the black racial groups? Because what, what does it mean to be black? First off, most of us are Christians, regardless of what our ancestors were beforehand, like we, we took on Christianity from a European perspective, right? We all took that on, or our ancestors did. And now, I mean, in 2023, what does it mean to be black, right? For, for a lot of people, it's cool to be savage. You listen to the music, a lot of the pop culture, the things that are being put out, right? It's about um, what? What? Shoes, Nikes, drugs, you know? not having not having morals not having values not really valuing families starting children out of wedlock just having sex right being savage you got the rapper 21 savage <laughs> right who wasn't even one of us he's from london right that got exposed he 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 was fearing deportation after ice arrest right so he was promoting that music that kill you know kill kill black people right do drugs be savage okay 
So this is what gets promoted to the world. Like this, this has 300 million views. Come on, like you see this, right? Like this, this is what gets promoted to the world. Okay, and, and our people love it. Women call themselves a female dog. A bitch is a female dog, wolf, fox, or otter, right? So we know we can't go along with this. A lot of people love this music, but the music's all about guns, drugs, you know, just violence. The women, it's just being promiscuous. Risky behavior is going to have bad results. So once again, we have been removed from the family of humans, which is like a blank slate. So other people are putting their agendas forth and we're just running with it because we don't have our own culture. We don't have our own religion. We're just going along with whatever. And then we don't realize that legally we still we still don't have basic human rights. Right. The right to vote for our people has to be renewed like every 25 or 27 years. I think it's 25. And then the last president to renew our rights to vote was George Bush, G.W. Bush. Right. So that was George Bush's son, not the first Bush, but his son. He was the last president to renew our rights to vote, which is ridiculous. We shouldn't even be in that situation, but we are. We disconnected from the human family. So just things like the basics that are covered in the Constitution, we need a little special provision to get those things because we are out of the direct line of kinship with God. This is from the book, uh, The Negro, a Beast, or in the Image of God. And that book is actually in law libraries um, in several universities. So this was being designed, you know, to place us into this box. So just going back to that, what, what does it even mean to be black, uh, uh, African-American, foundational black American, uh, African or American descendants of slaves, ADOS, which once again is starting yourself out as slavery, makes no sense. It makes no sense. And there's a lot of people pushing this. And it's so sad when you know better. But I mean, we can't save everyone. Right. But it's sad when you know better and you see people still pushing this agenda, pushing it hard. It makes you question them. Right. Where are they coming from? They, they can't be serious. There's no way they could be serious. They're pushing American descendant of slaves, ADOS in 2023. Come on, man. You don't need a new special name to claim to be an American descendant of slaves. That's black. That's African-American, right? Because African-Americans just come from the black racial groups of Africa. Everybody else is original people. So you don't need the FBA, foundational black American and ADOS. You don't need that stuff. That doesn't distinguish you from black or African-American. It's the same thing. It's the same slave label. Right. And remember, our ancestors went by Negroes. They were called Negroes for several, several um, decades. Really over a century. And then um, after that, they went along with colored for several decades. So and it's crazy now you wouldn't even somebody can't call you colored. It sounds stupid. So it's crazy that we actually went through this. Right. And not realizing that by going along with this, by just all you have to do is speak up and be who you are. But by going, continuing to go along 
with these badges of scorn that were created to start us in slavery and to keep us in subhuman status. That's what makes us perpetually vulnerable. Okay, and then the N-word, Negro, nigger. This is the nigger right here, the troglodyte nigger. This is a scientific term. This is not like some racial term. This is a scientific term referring to a, a chimpanzee type creature that walked upright. The troglodyte nigger. Okay, and the troglodyte is the caveman. So that, and that has nothing to do with us. Our ancestry doesn't come from cavemen, right? So this, this status that was placed on our people has nothing to do with us. I know some people love the word nigger. They want to hang on to it. Don't want to let it go. But the troglodyte nigger is a, is a chimpanzee, right? It's, it's a monkey. So we went through a whole process to get to this point. Um, negrification is an actual term, factor, act of making a Negro, a placing under control of blacks. This is an actual term. Just the fact that this is an actual term should make everybody want to stop using the N-word, right? Stop using the N-word, calling your children the N-word, thinking it's cool. Thinking it's cool is really savage. It's savage. It's disgusting. If you know better, you, you shouldn't even want to do that, right? Because what, uh, what is a Negro? A Negro is non-descendable. So you created these marks of scorn to make people non-descendable. You will have no true ancestors. You are disconnected from the family of humans, right? All of your Everything that people want to claim now, they want to claim to be black Indians and all this stuff. You can't say that you're that because in this position, you are undesirable. As a Negro, you're undesirable, not only in this country, but also to the world. Anything that you claim, it's going to be offensive to everyone else because you're trying to claim something that you have no connection to. Right? You can't just go from being this being, this this semi-human thing that was created in the 1700s that started at slavery to try to claim Egypt. Oh, yeah, we built the pyramid. You didn't build nothing. So once again, somebody came and revealed this to us and did something about it, and it was covered up. We're the only ones that's going to bring the truth to light. I do want to share something from the Holy Quran of the Morris Science Temple of America. And um, before I say that, let, let's see what's in the chat. Islam. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I see what you're saying. That's crazy that we actually went by the term colored at one point in time. And we know this is real. I mean, you still have the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. So our people were actually going by this term, what, in the 1940s, 1950s? We got urged eventually to take on the term Black and Afro-American. And then people who are younger don't even realize that at one point in time, our people saw that term black is offensive, right? 
some of the elders can tell you they they witnessed this in their lifetime people saw that as an insult don't call me black right they're not a color that sounded stupid to people all right so you know it's it's crazy how this is done but then going back into here you know so for for many people for us to be out here trying to claim you know ancient egypt trying to claim to be indigenous to the americas it's it's blasphemy because it's like look you you descend from the enslaved africans they brought all of y'all over here from somewhere in west africa meanwhile west africa is huge and filled with all these different people speak different languages different tribes different bloodlines but we claiming that right and now people think they're waking up no i want to claim to be indigenous to the americas no my ancestors built this okay doesn't make any sense but going back into um what the prophet created with the holy quran of the more science temple of america this is just an excerpt from chapter 47. he speaks about our divine origin our hidden history just going to verse three it says his father and his family were second then came the word Ethiopia, which means the demarcation line of the dominion of a Mexum, the first true and divine name of Africa, right? Something is hidden. The first true and divine name of Africa, a Mexum, right? The dominion of Kush, Northeast and Southeast Africa, Northwest and Southwest was his father's dominion of Africa. In later years, many of their brethren from Asia and the Holy Lands joined them, the Moabites, from the land of Moab who received permission from the pharaohs of Egypt to settle and inhabit Northwest Africa. They were the founders and are the true possessors of the present Moroccan empire with their Canaanite, Hittite and Amorite brethren who sojourned from the land of Canaan seeking new homes. Their dominion and inhabitation extended from Northeast and Southwest Africa across the great Atlantis even unto the present North, South and Central America and also Mexico and the Atlantis Islands before the great earthquake, which caused the great Atlantic Ocean. Now this just in case anybody's like, what, what does that mean? Right, this is speaking about our ancestry saying that the Moabites, right? Along with the Canaanites, Hittite and the Amorite brethren extended their dominion from northeast and southwest africa across the great atlantis the great atlantis the name for the that became this thing that became the atlantic um ocean right they they were in this part of africa but also into north south and central america right mexico and the atlantis islands and that they've been over here since before the great earthquake, which caused the Atlantic Ocean. So this is explaining the dominion, right? The possession, the property or the, the land that, that our ancestors had, and also a time frame. This happened way before colonization, right? So the people are related. And it since this happened before that earthquake, which caused the Atlantic Ocean, for us, this is Northwest Africa or Northwest of Mexico. We are the true possessors of the present Moroccan empire. 
because it's right here where we stand. All right. And I'm going to show you why that claim is not just these aren't just words in a book. Once you have this understanding, you can now go back and trace yourself through history. This is one of the things we're going to do here to make sense out of this. And this is good for anyone, um, whether you're a more you've been studying for a while or even people who are new to this, because we're going to trace ourselves back through history right here. All right. But I want you to hear this first so that as we trace ourselves back through history, you'll understand. OK, so this was what this man named uh, Noble Drew Ali. This is what he brought to our people in the 1920s. Right. You see this black and white photo, 1928. This is what and I don't I don't even know if he graduated high school. Right. He, he probably didn't. I mean, I don't know because there's no records of it. So he probably didn't even go to high school. And yet this is the, informa um, the information and the understanding that he's bringing to our people that, hey, you know, this is who our ancestors are. And if they've been over here, even in the Americas, since before the earthquake that caused the Atlantic Ocean, he's letting people know that the rivers are man-made. The Nile River was dredged and made by the ancient pharaohs of Egypt in order to trade with the surrounding kingdoms. Also, the Niger River was dredged by the great pharaoh of Egypt in those ancient days for trade, and it extended eastward from the river Nile, westward across the great Atlantic. It was used for trade and transportation that extending westward across the great Atlantic. This may explain why within the Atlantic Ocean, right, you have the ocean streams these underwater river currents. And so the, the sailors, they knew this. I mean, they still know it today to get on that current and it'll ride them to their destination faster. It'll get them to where they're going faster. So there's underwater river currents in the ocean. And so he's saying that this is man-made. And so this river was created. And when the earthquake happened, which caused the great Atlantic, it just stretched across across this gap, you know, that was filled in by the water that became the Atlantic Ocean. It's still there. The river's still there. It's just underwater now. And it was used for trade and transportation. So trade was taking place not only within the huge continent of Africa, but also across the Atlantic with the Americas. And this is why you will have corn, right, being talked about in ancient Egypt. And Corn is important because corn is indigenous to the Americas. Like, how do they even know about this if they're limited to that one part of the world? They ain't even have the knowledge of how to um, travel across the ocean. How would they know about corn? And so there's other, other crops and things, too, that they um, had in different parts of the world. And this is because the trade was taking place before the Europeans were able to um, participate in international trade. That's how come you had this cross-cultural thing going on. Um, they also have the cocaine mummies, which you can you can do some research on on your own. So they found uh, these mummies in Egypt. They had traces of cocaine on them, which is you're talking about coming from somebody saying they can't hear the audio. The audio good. Somebody else, please chime in 
Is the audio good? Audio good, Morris? Everybody else good? Somebody give me some feedback. Let me know if you can hear that audio. Okay, good. Okay, here we go. So, yeah, they, they found mummies in Egypt. They had cocaine literally in the mummies, on the mummies. And they know that cocaine came from the eastern part of South America. <clears throat> okay. Peru, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, right? So the trade was taking place. And it was taking place long before uh long before the Europeans found out about the Americas. So we're gonna turn that mic up. Is that louder? We louder, we good. Okay. So um it's going back to this. Um, like I said though, remember this. I want you to remember what's being spoken about here because this man in the 1920s was teaching this hidden history to our people before the internet when it was all easy where you could just go look at videos and stuff talking about this right so all these people that want to disrespect the moors disrespect the prophet now they all of a sudden they know they're indigenous guess what this is where it came from he was teaching this back then so I want you to remember this because, like I said, we're going to trace ourselves. So he's saying that our people came over here, received permission from the pharaohs of Egypt. First off, you got that Egyptian connection and that they are the true possessors of the present Moroccan empire. According to all, skipping down to nine, according to all true and divine records of the human race, there's no Negro, black or colored race attached to the human family. So that means even foundational black American, right? ADOS, all of that mess. Come on, man, drop it. Because all the inhabitants of Africa were and are of the human race, descendants of the ancient Canaanite nation from the holy land of Canaan. So no true Moors would be up here saying, no, we're not African. Why would you say that when we're in Northwest Amexum right now? Amexum's the first true and divine name of Africa. And what your forefathers were, you are today, without doubt or contradiction so he's letting it be known even though we've been tricked out of our, our our line of descent tricked out of who we truly are our history families broken up all types of things we've been through but everyone goes through atrocities right so even though we've gotten to this point now we are still who our ancient forefathers were that's what we still are today without doubt or contradiction and this is why he can declare our nationality declare our independence our nation and be unimpeded upon. We have an Islamic nation state right here. It's in disarray, but it's coming together. And this is why we can do this unimpeded upon. Nobody can stop us. We don't have to stay in a slave, uh, semi-human status just because some people don't want us to rise up. They can't do nothing to stop us. We have that human right. <laughs> you know, basic rights. There was even declared in the U United Nations, UN DRIP, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Every people has the right to self-determination unimpeded upon by others, including colonizers, right? You can't keep them in that status forever. So we had a right to do this. Nobody can impede upon it. Um, and just 
so you can see a visual of what's discussed in that chapter 47 about our people being in here. If you look on the right, where you see an example of how um, North and South America fit into um, Europe and um, Africa, right? Just for that visual saying that our people, right, were here, the Dominion were over here in North, South and Central America, Mexico and the Atlantis Islands before that great earthquake which caused the Atlantic Ocean. Um, there's a newspaper article uh, a few years ago, I think it was New York Times, where it was saying that they have um, like geological surveys and studies that show that New Jersey used to be connected to Morocco. New Jersey. Okay, and you see on this map depiction on the right how it fits in there. Okay, I just wanted to show that just to show you know that this is just explaining how that happened even on here you see the you see where the the purple lines the Nile river and you see this other purple line on the right is the niger river and how the niger river potentially used to connect to the amazon river so when it split apart those earth ocean currents that you see that are in the atlantic right they they it's still connected still connected to this day all right. So the Moroccan Empire is Northwest of Maxim, which you could say is Northwest Africa. And, and that's true because you have Morocco and now uh, um, Trump recognized the sovereignty of Morocco over this new nation they created called Western Sahara. So you have all that. Plus, you have Mauritania. Mauritania is over there. Northwest Africa, where the Atlas Mountains are. So on one hand, that is that's all part of the Moroccan Empire. But on the other hand, right, we came over here and we are of this same line of descent. And so the Moroccan Empire is right here where we are. But um, want to go back on to um, or go back into the history right now. What you're seeing just on the screen, like on the left, you see the the three noblemen. OK. And um. I can't remember the book that I first saw this picture in where you had these three Incan noblemen. But the first time I ever saw that, right? And I'm like, wow, like, you know, they they don't look like what you usually see as indigenous people. And um, it said that they were like, it said that they were um, Incan noblemen, which Incan, that means you're talking about the indigenous people from Peru. And it said that they were Incan noblemen and that they must have been escaped slaves. Like that was in this book that I saw a long time ago. I wish I could still have it because that, that doesn't even make any sense. Like how would escaped slaves rise up to become nobility within the indigenous people, right? Because, you know, to be of the nobility class, you have to know your lineage. That's one of the things that makes people of that lineage of, of a noble class, that they know their lineage. To be, um, there was this one book from um, Vol Voltaire that I read years ago, and it, it adds funny because they had a story about uh, a European lady who was sold into slavery by the Moors. But she was speaking on how there was a guy she wanted to marry, and she couldn't marry him because he could only go back like three generations. So obviously, she was a high of a higher class than him, 
right? She was of noble class because she could go back like 20 or 30 generations. All right. So there's no way. I mean, I'm not saying that people can rise up from slavery in different times in history. Just saying that this is the reason people would put that image on us is because they associate Negro black with slavery. So these are Incan noblemen. Right. And they're of African descent, obviously. And this was painted in 1599. So at that point in time, this is what the Incan noblemen look like. Right. Like it says in this description, they're depicted wearing Spanish clothing, but with gold Inca gold adornments and then captioned with Spanish names. The three dons, Don Francisco and, you know, right. So these are noble noblemen, the noble class of Peru. Remember that, though, the noble class of Peru. We're going to come back to that, too. Um, you see this. Also, this is um, this is on the right. It's just a. A section of a longer um, painting showing like the lineage of descent of the kings of Peru. And so this is the last um, indigenous king of Peru. And then the one on the right of him is the first Spanish king of Peru. Right. So you got Ato, Paul, Inca, and then you got Carlos Quinto, who was Spanish. And I mean, the quality is not good, but you can see they both look alike right why because many of the spanish and portuguese that came over here at that point in time were of moorish descent why would they be participating in the conquest of another people because all right um if you if you're looking at this you know happening around the 1500s right maybe 100 years prior to that late 1400s Spain, Spanish or, or Moorish Spain fell to the Spaniards and all of the Moors who didn't flee or who weren't killed, they had to convert to Christianity, the Moriscos. They had to swear their allegiance to the queen and, the, you know, the pope. Right. Queen Isabella, King Ferdinand. So you had people who were of Moorish descent who were dark skinned people. They were Christians. They were Moriscos. Matter of fact, when Columbus came over here, the um, the people, the brothers, the um, Nino brothers owned the boats that he was on. Right. So in these Nino brothers, they were brothers. They were Asiatic. They were Moriscos. Right. These are dark skinned people of Moorish descent. And I'm just saying this to say these are people who went ahead converted to Christianity, right? Swear their allegiance so that they could stay in their homeland. Because you're talking about the Moors ruled um, Spain for almost 800 years. They don't know anything else. This is where they're from. I'm not making excuses for anything. I'm just showing you. So um, this is one re way that they were able to come and take over, right? So you have, of course, they're bringing the warriors, the gueros, the, the, the conquistadors with them but also they look like the people that they're coming to conquer. They have ties, blood ties, okay? So um, moving forward. Now I wanted you to remember the Peruvians, right? So you see the three Incan noblemen, then you see these Incan noblemen, these kings, all right? So the headdress that was worn over here by the nobility, in Peru. Peru is in South America. This is important. This um 
this uh on the upper left hand corner this is um taken from the book queen mu and the egyptian sphinx and that was written by uh augustus leplongeon now he's speaking about some of the different um europeans who came into contact with the peruvians and it's saying garcilaso de la vega Cieza de Leon, Acosta, and other writers on Peruvian customs and manners inform us that the fringe and tassel of the Yantu, royal headdress of the Incas, were made of fine crimson wool. So the royal headdress of the Inca was made of fine crimson wool. Fine crimson wool are fezes. Matter of fact, Morris, make sure you go to moorishfez.com because the fezes that we have sound just like the royal headdress of the Incas. Just like it. It says it's fine crimson wool. Crimson is dark red. Wool, our pheasant, 100% wool. And then it has a tassel. Same thing. We have that right now. That's what we have. And so when you're looking at this, you're talking about the nobility of Peru was wearing the same thing that our prophet returned to us. This is not a joke. This is why I'm saying we can trace ourselves back through history. So everybody, um, all Moors, make sure you go to MoorishFez.com to get your Fez. That's MoorishFez.com. And as you can see, this, this is pretty much a description of the royal headdress of the Incas. Fine crimson wool. This Fez is 100% wool. And then the fringe and tassel. You see the tassel right there. Okay? These are actual pictures of our fezes. This is what they look like. This is what you get when you go to morrisfez.com. Fine crimson wool, and you see that long tassel. Okay? And so the indigenous people over here in the Americas have been wearing this royal headdress. And when we say this, we're talking about the nobility. The nobility. This is the headdress, the royal headdress of the noble class. Not just saying this to try to make people feel good. I can't make that up. I didn't make that up. Right? So you see the example. Um, if you want to, you can get that book, Queen Mu and the Egyptian Sphinx. If you want to know more about it, the um, guy who wrote it, Augustus Leplongeon, this is somebody who spent years in the Yucatan, years in Central and South America doing physical excavations. He actually taught himself the languages, learned the hieroglyphs that the, the Mayans and Olmecs were using, right? So this isn't just like some, um, you know, crazy talk. And this guy, the stuff that Augustus Leplongeon was writing, these books were being eaten up by the, um, the Rosicrucians, right? They couldn't wait to get a hold of his material because he was doing the physical work to make the connections and understandings that they needed, Right? And so that was just the Peru, the um, noble class in Peru. But then if you look over here in the upper right-hand corner, you see this Egyptian statue. And once again, the noble class in Egypt were wearing the fez. That's a fez. I'm just so glad that the color was retained because it's dark red. Once again, go to morrisfez.com to get your fez. What are our fezes? Dark red. 100% wool, just like that. You see this carved in stone. Same color as the fez that I have on my head. Okay? Um, 
you're looking down here in the left hand corner you see the egypt i mean the <laughs> easter island heads so there's these these things are tall and they weigh several tons right and then they made sure on some of these statues or many of the statues that they actually carved this headdress on them right and then it's like red volcanic rock so this is something that we've been doing and the prophet returned this to us and this is why it's important for us to come online and come into being who we truly are because this is holding back the entire world right it's time for these lies to come down um you also see an example with the omec head so with the omec heads you had some that had straight up corn rolls in their hair then you have some wearing what looks like a headdress with tassels and then possibly a turban wrapped around a bottom. Okay. <clears throat> and then if you know who you are, you can go back and trace yourself through history. Now, this example is up on the screen. This book, um, this book is like, I think this book was written early 1500s. So you're talking about a book that's over 14 years, um, excuse me, over 500 years old. It's talking about the um, various indigenous tribes throughout the Americas, right? And then you have the descriptions of them, their languages, how they dress, their customs, cultures, and everything. Everything that the Europeans saw when they first started coming over here, the, the different colonists, right? And um, this is important, too. Because you have um, you have images in there too. You have um, paintings, drawings. This one um, showing the people in Peru, right? If you see up here, Lake Titicaca, that's in Peru. So you see some of the indigenous people not really wearing any clothes or very little clothes at all. But then you see these people wearing robes and with turbans on. Okay, this guy has turbans with a feather or with feathers in the front. Right, so they're wearing robes and have the turbans. And these are the indigenous people in Peru. All right, we wear the turban on a fez. Just showing you Peru, that's uh, Machu Picchu. These are the people who actually built these cities, these temples, these pyramids, charted the stars, actually had free energy systems throughout the Americas, right? I mean, all the way up um, from South to Central uh, North America. I just saw something earlier today speaking about how they found some more Mayan temples hidden in the um, really difficult to reach areas in the jungle in Guatemala. They also use satellite imaging to find pyramids and temples, cities built that are hidden in the jungles like they can't physically see it, but they can see it with the satellite imagery because they're like in hard to reach areas in the Amazon jungle in Brazil. So all throughout the Americas, uh, this just some images from Ohio. There's a pyramid in uh, Miamisburg. You wouldn't even know it's there because it's in the middle of a neighborhood and it's surrounded by a golf course, right? They have a little tiny little park there to preserve it, but you wouldn't even know it's there. And then doing some research specifically on this Miamisburg mound, which is it's a lot bigger maybe than it looks in this picture. It's actually pretty impressive. Doing research on this, I found out that when the Europeans found this mound in Miamisburg, 
it was covered in stone slabs. It's a pyramid. It was covered in stone slabs. And so these people built these temples, these pyramids. They actually built universities, libraries all over the world. But we're focused on the Americas. Um, many of these pyramids, like the uh, the ones in Teo, uh, Teotihuacan in, um, in Mexico, when the um, Europeans first encountered these, a lot of them looked like the ones found all over North America, covered in grass, even had trees and stuff growing on them, right? So they had to go and excavate it. Um, when you go inside of the temples in Bonampak, when you look at the murals on it, it's crazy because you can actually see people wearing the royal headdress, wearing fezes and turbans. People have braids and dreadlocks. It's undeniable. You can actually see that in some of these images too, right? And so we're talking about tracing ourselves back through history. Now the prophet said that we were in North, South, Central America, that's included Mexico and the Atlantis Islands. All of this, right? Not saying we were the only people over here because you also had people that came over to Bering Strait. You also had um, the Vikings that came in way before um, the rest of um, like the uh, English and the French came, right? Like they, they tell you about Eric the Red, but they don't say anything about the Moors. So I wanna let you know why we're saying these people were Moors, not just because they had, they had the, the fez and the turban on, even though that should be a dead giveaway. Okay, not just because Europeans in the um, 1800s, 1700s were writing books, making all of these sculptures and statues depicting the Blackamore Indians, right? Like they knew. They knew, okay, the Indians there, they're the Blackamoors. Blackamore was synonymous with Indian. We're speaking about the Indians in America. And this was just known. So throughout the 17, 1800s, you had all of these sculptures, all of these statues made depicting the indigenous people here as Blackamoors. It pretty much became synonymous with indigenous Americans. But not only because of that, and then not only because of the similarities. I mean, like I said, you have this stuff painted and even carved into walls, even carved into stone. We're still the same people, even still doing the same things with our hair, right? Like you see Gucci Mane here with all the gold on, the, the statue that's next to him. This is a priceless statue that was depicted of an indigenous Floridian, a Blackamore Indian from Florida. With all these jewels, he's, you know, a king or prince with all this gold on, right? So it's still, you know, we're, we're doing it from a low status because we've been disconnected from our true nature, our true um, origin, right? They're not saying, hey, just believe it just because the Easter Island heads, which is like off the coast of Chile in South America. Don't just believe it because they were wearing fezes. And because all of these Blackamore Indians wearing fezes and turbans, something that this man in the 1920s returned to us I'm not saying just believe this because the ancient Olmecs carved 
themselves out of stone wearing a fez with the tassel, with the rope tassel, right? It's not a coincidence, but we have actual, we have even, we have actual written records carved into stone showing who we are so that we can trace ourselves back through history. I want to speak on all of the Phoenician artifacts found here in the Americas. So for anyone that's watching, doesn't know anything about the Phoenicians, maybe doesn't know why that even may be important. Uh, let me let me stop real quick. Hang on. All right. Um, hang on real quick. Let me flip and see what's what's said in the chat. We used to go play at a huge mound back home in Natchez, Mississippi, and the door was barricaded off. Wow. Look up the Natchez Fez. Wow. So yeah, definitely check those things out. Um, I wanna I want to um explain why it's important for us to know about the Phoenician artifacts found here, um, here in North America, as well as all the way down in Brazil. So throughout the Americas, we have all of these artifacts that have been found that show that the Phoenicians were here. Who were the ancient Phoenicians, right? Um, when you're talking about the ancient Phoenicians, you're talking about a seafaring people, right? People who who had mastered traveling um, throughout the um, the seas, the oceans, um, charted the stars. They could, you know, travel at night, daytime didn't matter. They had it down, right? Um, these are people also who were already civilized. They already had um, complex architecture skills. Um, they had a written language. Um, Phoenician, that's where phonics comes from. Um, this is everything, like all of the languages are connected to Phoenician. And um, this is also why um, I, would tell, I wouldn't tell anyone um, who speaks English, who has an English name, that you have a slave name, right? Because English is connected to Phoenician. All of these languages are. It's almost like a root language. All right. So um, you have a um, an, a seafaring culture that had um, several colonies in different parts of the world. Right. And hang on one second, Morris. Hang on. Part of that. So yeah, you, you had an ancient culture that um, had complex archaeology, uh, excuse me, architecture, um, had a language, a written language that is, that is actually like a root language for many of the languages spoken today. And so that means that they gave birth to all of these different cultures. Okay, um, Carthage. Uh, you see the definition up here, ancient Semitic city of North Africa rival of Republican Rome. Carthage 
was basically a Phoenician um, colony. So Carthage was a city-state founded by the Phoenicians. You also had the capital, which was also called Carthage. Now, Carthage is important. A lot of people heard about Hannibal, um, Hannibal the Conqueror, um, Phoenician king, Carthaginian king, right, who took on the Romans. There's a famous battle where he led all of these um, soldiers on elephant back into the, I believe, the Alps, the French Alps, and they conquered Rome or conquered a part of Rome, sent the Romans back or pushed their, their um, dominions back. And so um, Hannibal, Hanno Ball, Hanno Bay, Ball was in the um, was a Canaanite god. Ball was supposed to be the son of El. El's a Canaanite god as well. Ball and El later became surnames of the Canaanites. Ball and El, Ball um, formed into Bay. So El and Bay, these are ancient. Canaanite names. All right. Hanno Ball was Hanno Bay. And I'm saying this for a reason, but the Carthaginians, the Phoenicians, the Canaanites, same people. There's no reason, um, according to mainstream history, what we're taught, there's no reason to find any Phoenician artifacts in the Americas. Because even though it was known that these were seafaring people, that these this is like a root civilization for many cultures today, it's it's not taught that they even knew about the Americas, right? We're not taught that. Now, of course, our prophet says something different. He said that they received permission from the pharaohs of Egypt to come over here. That this was a northwest part of the empire. And that we've been here since before the earthquake, which caused the Atlantic Ocean. So with this understanding, what you just saw on the screen, this was um, a Phoenician inscription that was found in Brazil. And it was found on an artifact. So this was carved into stone, okay, in the Phoenician script. And it was found in the 1800s. At the time that it was found, all of the Phoenician script had not been translated by um, the Portuguese or by the Europeans. So they couldn't even understand all of the script. They sent um, sent this back to Europe to um, be uh, translated by the, uh, the uh, Jesuit priests. Um, and they were able to translate enough of it to know that it was Phoenician, right? And this is uh, from 1872. Now, a portion of it said, we are children of Canaan from Sidon, from the Eastern kingdom of merchants and are cast I pray now where where this is, land of mountains, offer the chosen one to the most high gods and goddesses in the year 19 of Hiram's reign. I pray still strong. Um, Hiram, <laughs> Hiram was actually a um, Phoenician king. Okay, you have Hiram Abif, but Hiram, Hiram was a Phoenician king. So um, this was found in Egypt at, I mean, not in Egypt, in Brazil. And at the time, they had not translated all of the script, but they understood enough to know that it was Phoenician. Later on, throughout time, they were able to translate the entire inscription and see that it was legit, you know? So 
there's no way that it could have been a fake if at that time, you know, in the common people, even the, the educated people didn't understand fully the Phoenician language, right? So there's no way that could have been faked. You had another one too, um, and they, they described it as King Mesa's inscription from Moab. This also found in Brazil. I am Mesa's son of Chemos, king of Moab, the Dabonite. My father reigned over Moab 30 years, and I reigned after my father, and I made this high place for Chemos in K-R-H-H, high place of South. Okay. Once again, this was found in Egypt, in uh, Brazil. Keep trying to say Egypt, but you can find more about this in the book uh, "Mysteries of Ancient America." Matter of fact, let me let me pull that up real quick. I, I have that up. Let me get that. See if I can pull that up for you. So, um, just bringing this up because it's not supposed to be found here in the Americas. You know, given the common narrative, there's no reason that that should even be anywhere near Brazil. This, this was found in Brazil. And hang, hang on one second. Don't go anywhere. Gonna share a little bit more about that. Hang on. I have that book and um, I am trying to pull it up. Mysteries of Ancient America. Oh no. Uh, okay. Yeah, maybe this is. Hang on. Yeah. Nope, this isn't it. Oh, well. Yeah, well, you, you can look that book up. You can find it online. Uh, you can find a PDF. You can find a physical copy. But, um, man, I wish I had that right in front of me, though. Just going to some more artifacts. I skipped this one, but I have a whole video on here about the Wabansi Stone. This was found in Chicago, weighed like 1,000 to 2,000 pounds. Um, you also have in um, New England, you have uh, several artifacts found. The one that's right here has Iberian Punic on it, okay, which is, once again, related to the Phoenician script. This is um, the, actual, the actual tablet. And then there's a translation on here. And this is taken from Barry Fell's book, America BC. Barry Fell was a Harvard professor. All right. And I'm um, just saying that this was found in a small rectangular stone chamber at Mystery Hill. The inscription in Iberian character reads from right to left, to bow of the Canaanites, this in dedication. Remember, the Canaanites are the Phoenicians. No reason this should be found anywhere in the Americas right they called it the hill where the chamber was found mystery hill then you of course we have the bornstone which some of us may know about the bornstone was found in um 
Cape Cod Bay, New England, Massachusetts. And then once again, it's got the Phoenician script on there. All right. And this is important because it's a marker stone. You are not supposed to move anyone's marker stone, right? Marking their, their demarcation line for their, their property, their dominions. All right. And this um, stone actually says, by this, I take claim and it's signed Hano Bay. All right. And it says, by this, I take claim. This was found in um, Cape Cod. Excuse me, I think that's Cape Cod Bay. Cape Cod Bay, Massachusetts. No reason anything like this should be found here. They're saying the stone dates back to 250 BC. You know, but from our perspective, that's a legal document. It's a marker stone. This is proof our ancestors were here. This is proof that our prophet was right. There's no reason the Phoenician script, you shouldn't even have characters carved into stone in a script that most people can't understand. Only a handful of people can read. This is a, you know, a dead language, right? You don't have people just walking around that can write in this script. So even for someone to be able to fake it, there's going to be mistakes because, you know, when people found these types of artifacts, including this one and the one in Brazil, people didn't even understand it at the time. Right. So we're able to trace ourselves back. This is why for the uh, brother who asked the question earlier, saying, why are you trying to say that this is Morocco? This is why we're saying it. We have proof carved in stone. Not only just talking about you, you had the indigenous people here wearing fezes and turbans. You had the Peru nobility wearing the Yantu, which is a crimson wool headdress with the tassel. Right? Remember, y'all go go to morrisfez.com. We got that for you. Crimson wool with the tassel. So um, not just saying it because that's what the people was wearing here, the fezes and the turbans, the royal headdress. Nah. No, we have actual physical records. We have the physical records. And yeah, Phoenix is connected to Phoenicians. Phoenix, um, the rebirth, uh, the, the Phoenix, the um, phonics, just language in general. Right? But um, this, so this is, this is um, why. We can make that claim for real, but it's it's known. It's known. We even have within the congressional records, okay? Like this example that's up here on the screen. This is in Congress. Strange to say, the presiding officer decided in favor of the latter. They're speaking about the history of the word America, where it came from. But even though the theory rejected at this Congress has not much historical support, we may confidently look to the Incas for a better one, right? They're trying to say America, where did it come from? They know it didn't come from Amerigo Vespucci. That was a lie they told us in school. I, I hope they're not still telling that lie. But it says, uh, we may confidently look to the Incas for a better one. America was spelled variously in the first maps and documents as Amaraca. 
Amerioka, Amerioka, Maraca, Moraca, as well as America. From Humboldt, we learned that the first settlement of Spaniards on the mainland was a Maraca Pana. The native word Pana was, according to Sir Walter Raleigh, the equivalent of country. Okay. So um, he said, he says, Herrera says that finally he arrived at a port where they saw a village on the shore called Maraca Ibo by the natives. So the indigenous people here, referring to the land as a whole, as Maraca, Maraca, Ibo, Amaraca, Pana, Moraca, Maraca, Amaraca. What does that sound like to you? Amaraca, Moraca. This is Morocco. Not saying that that's not Morocco, just saying you going back thousands of years, it was understood by the people who lived here. That this is Moraka, Maraca, Maraca, variations of it. Why? Because you have people living in different parts of the country. They had their own language. They had their own way of pronouncing it. Okay. So, um, and then of course, going, you know, it doesn't matter how you go at it. You want to go with the slave trade narrative, which is only partially true. You have people who, for the most part, went into Brazil from different um, portions of West Africa that were captured and traded and sold into slavery, right? Many went into Brazil. But even when you go to Brazil, which I lived there for five years, you have people who live there who know that their ancestors have been there since before colonization started, right? Um, lived there for five years. Um, I've seen in the history books there, right? Even history books that were in school, you know, for, for my uh, child, they said Negros de Terra. And that was the name, the early name for the indigenous people, right? So they used to call them Negros de Terra. That means Negroes of the land. And then they stopped using that term period and just started calling them Indios. All right. So Negros da Terra was what they were calling them in Brazil. So even though they already had people living there who you would say is of African descent, they was indigenous. And then they were also bringing people from various parts. But um, just saying, even if you're going off of that, you're still talking about Moors. Right. Everything here in yellow is Mohammedan Africa. And then you see the the um, expansion like for the Moroccan Empire. Right. You have the Barbary states. That's all Morocco. That's all subject to the Sultan. This is why when you have like instances like. Um, well, you had um, in the 1700s, you had a brother in North America who was enslaved and he had a Muslim name and he said that he was from West Africa, but he wrote a letter to the Sultan. For his freedom. Why? Because just like in that Negro Act that I read from 1740 in South Carolina, it said that the Negro is confined to enslaved Africans. It does not <coughs> include the Moors, right? The free inhabitants of Africa. So he wrote the Sultan for his freedom and he got it. 
And you had several people, right? Several people actually in the Americas who were enslaved, who did the same thing. Even people who were from America, weren't even from Africa. They did the same thing to get their freedom. They used that same letter, that letter to the uh, Sultan saying, that, hey, we're Moors. This is also why you'll see little anomalies in history, like when you look at the uh, sundry free Moors. This was later on in um, South Carolina. It was in like 1790, where you had a group of people who had English names, right? Just like all other so-called African-Americans. And they, um, they petitioned to the, um, I believe the Supreme Court or an early version of the Supreme Court in South Carolina. They, they didn't have one at the time, but they, <coughs> to be recognized as Moors, not to be recognized as Negroes. This is why, okay? So this, this is very real and it didn't just start with the prophet. The prophet had to come through to a people who had forgotten all of this, who had been broken to return this to us and to get us to start seeing ourselves as a nation. This is something that's necessary. This is why I showed you in the beginning how you had in the lodge, um, the Great Lodge or Grand Lodge in England, how they have our flag there and it's hidden. It's hidden in plain sight. It's actually up on the roof, on the ceiling, right? In the tapestry, in the lodge. But they're not gonna tell you what it is. Even though it's known that none of this can rise until we come into being who we truly are. But I just had this map up because it doesn't matter how you want to go at it. You want to go at it from the slave trade? Fine. You're talking about Moors. All of this was subject to the Sultan. Okay. Even though all of these different um, people had their own chiefs, their own kings, they still recognized the Sultan. Okay. Even if it was just ceremonial they still recognize the sultan okay the indigenous people here were referred to as blackamoors not just by people in europe but also by the um, people here in america this is a um, newspaper article from ohio 1853 it says 1853 uh, through 1858 and it's got a story in here speaking about blackamoor wild indians that live in the woods you see another one over here. Virginia paper says in commenting on the Dred Scott decision, the Supreme Court and the Dred Scott decision, the highest judicial tribunal in the land has decided that the Blackamoors, called by the extreme of public curiosity, the colored population, are not citizens of the United States. So they use Blackamoors, colored, and also Negro in that same article, talking about the same people. Okay. Um, just another example about the Blackamore Negger Indians. You see this? It says, where do them Blackamore Negger Indians live that I heard about in our own country? Okay. Um, this is just some literature from the 1800s. Some more examples. The Blackamores. That is Blackamore. Otherwise, Blackamore. Uh the Blackamore was largely employed by tobacconists as a sign, and it still survives here and there. The Blackamore then divided the honor of announcing the tobacco shop with the red Indian attire and a petticoat of tobacco leaves. 
right? This is speaking about how you used to have all of these statues, especially like where they sold cigars and tobacco, where they had the Blackamoor Indian, right? Maybe holding holding um, cigars in his hand. And this was known. So this was done all throughout the country, in Europe and throughout the Americas. And it was just known, the Blackamoor Indians. Here's an example up here on the right. <coughs> you can see this is a Blackamoor Indian. All right. William Penn, who was later the founder of Pennsylvania, spoke about the natives he first encountered. Said the natives, um, just describing them, they're tall, straight, well-built, of singular proportion, um, of complexion, black, but by design as the gypsies in Egypt, right? So it's just known. He also spoke about the, um, the indigenous people in Pennsylvania being spoken of indifferently as Indians and Moors. You can read more about that from Ancient and Modern Britons, page 374 right in 1676 the native races of new england were spoken of indifferently as indians and moors and our british indians are also remembered as moors right so they just call them indians moors and also negroes just interchangeably right but the laws were later being put in place to confine them to that right indian indian was substituted for moorish Indian became Negro. And then eventually Indian was replaced. So um, you see this is from the Peabody Museum of American Archaeology and Ethnology, 1888, Harvard University, Volume 1. In 1621, the word Indian was substituted for Moorish. Right. So this is very real. You can trace ourselves back through history. And just looking at the Negro law, you can see how the Indian, the indigenous people, lost their status and became enslaved. They literally said in there that this, the people who are, who look like Negroes, mulattoes, and mestizos are now considered slaves, right? And the burden of proof is on them to prove that they're anything other than a slave, right? And Negro, mulatto, mestizo, covers a wide range of skin complexion, skin tones. But it's like basically saying, hey, you look like you could be of African descent. You're a slave. Don't matter that you are indigenous, that you speak the language, that this is all that you know. You've been here since before the Europeans arrived. Don't matter. <clears throat> this has been occurring throughout time. Virginia, uh, just wanted another example passed two acts in 1682 that combined Native Americans and Africans into one category, Negroes and other slaves. That was in 1682 and I think 1676. The written record of the voyage of 1524 of Giovanni de Veranzo, recorded by a letter to Francis I, King of France. Please note the description of the natives. They are dark in color, not unlike the Ethiopians with thick black hair not very long, tied back behind the head like a small tail. Then speaking about the physique, right? So everybody was eventually classified as Negro. Walter Ashby Plecker, as far as the United States is concerned, came through and put the nail in the coffin. 
1921, Virginia, Virginia census director. Pretty much you, you still have people like the Lumbees in North Carolina who has several, you know, our people who were still, you know, um, had their tribal um, heritage and connection. But Walter Plecker pretty much came through and deaded that. Now, now he didn't get everybody we got, but he got most of us declared as Negroes. Right. He declared all Indians were of African heritage and initiated the Racial Integrity Act. Right. So they purposefully, you know, with the intent, they did this of misclassifying everybody as Negro. All right. And of course, you have the William Dungy case. Now, this is before Abraham Lincoln became president. He was legal counsel. He was a lawyer for a man who had been accused of being a Negro. He said, my client is not a Negro, though it is not a crime to be a Negro. No crime to be born with black skin, but my client is not a Negro. His skin may not be as white as ours, but I say he's not a Negro, though he may be a more. He um, then interrupted the judge who was smiling because there was a person in the courtroom named C.H. Moore, M-O-O-R-E, and he said, uh, you mean a more, not more, right? And then he said, well, your honor, more, M-O-O-R, not C-H more, right? So he's speaking about his client being one of us, uh, so-called African-Americans, so-called Negroes, right? He's He's got that skin tone, but he's saying that he's a more, he's not a Negro. And he was being accused of being a Negro because he had land and it was against the law for Negroes to own land. He had inheritance and this person wanted to take it from him. So um, Abraham Lincoln won that case for him. And this person had to then pay him, you know, the fee for his legal fees and also uh, restitution for, you know, for these charges, because it was a serious charges being accused of being a Negro. And they don't teach that. That should be a part of so-called Black History Month, right? Isn't that a big deal? They don't talk about any of this. That should dead any of these people out here. They want to talk trash about the Moors. It's like, what are you doing? You don't know anything. You don't know anything. Everybody watching this, make sure you hit the share button. All right? Make sure you hit that share button. But isn't that crazy, though? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln represented a Moore way back in the day. Okay. So that's crazy, man. Not a peep about any of this stuff. Not a peep. Um, several more instances. We're not going to go over everything, but 1730, Philip Moore, the third, sold a parcel of land in Hartford, Connecticut to Captain Thomas Seymour. Nothing about the transaction was unusual, except that Philip was a man of African descent. His last name was Moore, M-O-O-R-E, and he was the third. His grandfather, his father and grandfather before him owned that land as the acres passed out of Philip's hands into those of the English Seymour. The Moore's family holdings in Hartford came to an end. So in 1730, why is this so-called Negro own a third generation <laughs> landowner, right? And he's selling it to the white man. He's selling it to an English man. Like, come on, man. This Why isn't this talked about in black history? 
that doesn't fit the narrative of black history starting in 1619 when the first slave uh, came off the ship in Jamestown. That don't fit the narrative. There's no reason you should have been owning land at that point in time, according to the mainstream version of history. Uh, you had an act passed in Massachusetts, 1788, forbidding any Negro, not a subject of the emperor of Morocco or a citizen of the United States from tarrying in the Commonwealth. All right. So just letting it be known, <laughs> you see an example right here, um, just letting it be known, all those who were referred to as Negroes were actually Moors. And then as Moors, they're on the same footing, the same status as state citizens, right? This is why it's important that we have to get, um, we have to get out of the, the trap that was put to keep us disconnected from the family of humans. And you have to come into your true nationality. That's the only way to truly empower ourselves. And once again, you have another, classification showing or um showing the indigenous people here being recognized as moors distribution of the barbarous tribes east of the mississippi this is going all the way into canada algonquins algonquin the iroquois and then the southeastern uh, portion of this country is known by everybody pretty much because our people are still um a huge percentage, maybe even a majority of that population of this country, Southeast, it's always been like that. So the Yamasee, Seminoles, all of these people, it's been known, the Shata or Chatas, right? It's been known that these people were uh, Moors. Anytime you see that term, barber, Berber, or barbarous, Barbary, you're talking about Moors. The same time while they were trying to enslave us, they were at war fighting the Barbary states. Why? Because they were tired of paying them tribute so that they could participate in international trade. They're paying them tribute and they are still getting attacked, still getting robbed, still getting their things stolen and taken from them by the Moors, the Barbers, the Barbary states. Right? Just another example, too, showing how more in the racial hierarchical codes for the census more is a designation for the aboriginal americans and i believe they're specifically talking about the people on the eastern portion okay but just the fact that that is in there should tell you all that you need to know there's nobody else is even telling us that this is true why would the census even have that in there? Just, um, you know, once again, don't matter if you're going off the slave trade, which was just a tiny portion of the people who are here that they say, you know, will say are of African descent. Because you already had the people over here. Matter of fact, they were trading back and forth. Right? Doesn't matter how you cut it. And so... When you look at things um, from, I guess you could say from like the perspective of some of the secret or clandestine organizations, like the Rosicrucians, this is already known. They're not going to come out and tell you this. Matter of fact, some of them may even lie. And it may be because they don't know 
or maybe because they don't want you to know. But it's known, and it's known, known fact, that the Moors are the indigenous people of this area and that they were civilized and that these governments are based off of what they built. Right now, that's why when I was showing that book before, where Laplungeon was talking about the nobility in Peru wearing that Yantu, which is our Fez, he's writing that specifically for the Rosicrucians. All right, specifically. So, this is a known fact. Um, more just in case, because some people want to tie more and, and just limit it to. Um, to having a uh, origin from from uh, European languages, they'll say that more. That's that's what the uh, Greeks or the Romans called called black people. More just means black. More actually predates Rome. It predates Greece. More goes all the way back to Egypt, and may go even further back than that. Right, the root more you find that in the hieroglyphs. We're speaking about the priesthood a priest class, a whole class of priests, the priest of Anu. And then that term was more. And then you even see that term in the actual name for Egypt, Tamare, Tamori, right? You see that same term found all over the world. You have the Maori people, which um, have their own origin for um, how they got into that land, which would be New Zealand. And they have their own story about coming there from another place, coming there when when you had cataclysms occurring. Gerald Massey writes that in his book, uh, A Book of the Beginning, speaking about how the Mori, they got that name because they have origins in Ta Moray, which is Egypt. Right. That's also why you'll see the Meru or Mori name in India, the Mauryan Empire first unified the entire Indian subcontinent in 340 BC was named after its emperor, Chandragupta Mora. All right. So this is very old. I know I understand that people don't understand the connection, but this is what the prophet brought us back into. He connected us into something that predates just one civilization. We're talking about going back to a root civilization. Right. And when you go to a root civilization, you're talking about something that's ancient, the creators, the founders of civilization. All right. Um, in chapter 47, he speaks about Atlantis. Right. Being here in North, South, Central America before the great earthquake, which caused um, the Atlantic Ocean. And it's funny that um, when you go to North Africa, Mauritania, Mauritania contains the Atlas Mountains, right? It's right there on the um, on the uh, northwestern coast of Africa. And when you go in there, you have the Atlas Mountains. Now, Atlas was um, one of the kings of Atlantis. He was one of the seven sons of Poseidon. Atlas was a titan condemned to hold up the celestial heavens for eternity. Atlas stood at the ends of the earth in the extreme west. Atlas was known to be the king of Mauritania. That's why they call the Atlas Mountains that name. So he was known to be the king of Mauritania. He was the son of Poseidon. 
all right? The Atlantic Ocean, all of these things have that name in it, right? Because he was an Atlantis king, a deity, a king of Atlantis, one of the seven kings of Atlantis, right? King of Mauritania. So in this story with um, um, the, the Atlantean story, you have this land that, uh, or this capital, I'll say a capital, the capital of Atlantis was an island that was surrounded by rings, like rings of land or, or circles of land. And in between each, each, um, each island or in between the lands was a, you know, a body of water, right? And you actually have the, uh, the eye of the Sahara which actually fits this description, this whole description of Atlantis, and it's in Mauritania, right here, right now, right? So you have that. I'm not saying that that was the whole of Atlantis. That was the capital. We're talking about a worldwide civilization, right? And so that's still here in Mauritania. You can see the physical remnants of it left. So you had that description. This is an artist's depiction of the description. So you have this, this island in the center, and you had these rings of land. He's separated by a ring of water. And this was supposed to be like the capital. And then you have in Mauritania, right? The actual eye of the Sahara, which actually fits that description. And these are huge, right? The, these, um, these uh, structures in the land, these are huge. And there's no way anyone can say that that's natural, right? These are circles, right? You, you don't see that in nature, just circles inside of circles form. So this is actually there in Mauritania right now, all right? So it's not a coincidence that you had Atlas, the the king of it, you know, one of the kings of Atlantis, king of Mauritania. You had it at Atlas Mountains there, and then you had this actual uh, physical sculpture. I mean, physical structure that fits that description. This is not a coincidence in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So, just going back to that, that's what we're tied back into. It's not to try to make people feel good about themselves and make you feel like, you know, you're better than just a, a regular Negro. This is the history that was destroyed. And this is why we're coming back to this so that we can trace ourselves back through history. So now when you see these anomalies, you're seeing things that shouldn't fit given the mainstream you know, version of history. Now we're understanding why. Um, I'm trying to, uh, let me, I'm trying to remember where this vase was found. Uh, it's up here. The vase had the inscription on it from the King Kronos of Atlantis. Uh, I believe this was found in the Mediterranean, but you also had a similar um, artifact found in the Yucatan, right? With the same type inscription on it. I'm, I'm trying to pull up my page on this. screen sharing working on that so I might talk about that some other time so we're talking about a worldwide culture worldwide civilization this is what we got tied back into we even have a description of 
the cataclysm that took place, which is why we're in the situation that we're in now, where you had the separation of the people. We have an example up here from Stolen Legacy, which was written by George G.M. James. George G.M. James was a professor, um, expert on history, Egyptian history. He's speaking about the Moors being the custodians, the ones who kept up the, the wisdom from ancient Egypt. Um, just speaking about the Moors here, uh, these people, uh, they, they basically spread medicine, even surgery, astronomy, and mathematics across the globe. People from North Africa did more than merely distinguish themselves in Spain. Spain, um, when the Moors ruled um, Europe, and they ruled from Spain. Spain was basically the the seat of the empire for like 800 years, right? They were the recognized custodians of African culture to whom the world looked for enlightenment, right? So when you later on had the Italian Renaissance and these things happening in Europe, this was because the Moors were there. The Moors built the first universities in Europe. There were no universities and things like that. So, um, and the reason they were able to do that is because it's a much older culture. And so they're bringing this culture to different parts of the world. <coughs> so um, just reading a little bit more from Stolen Legacy. In addition, the Moors kept up constant contact with Mother Egypt, for they had established caliphates, not only at Baghdad and Cordova, but also at Cairo in Egypt. Um, just here, it will be well to mention that all the great leaders of the great religions of antiquity were initiates of the Egyptian mystery system from Moses, who was an Egyptian hieroglyphic, down to Christ. Right. So the Moors kept this knowledge and wisdom, even the knowledge and wisdom of the Egyptian mystery system, the ancient mystery system going. You wouldn't even have this stuff if it wasn't for the Moors. Now, um, speaking on this again. In the century, 8th century AD, the Moors, i.e. natives of Mauritania in North Africa. Remember Mauritania, we were showing you this is where the, um, like the cap, potentially, where the capital of Atlantis was, right? Now we had the cataclysms, which is why it looks like it does today. But the uh, Moors, the natives of Mauritania in North Africa invaded Spain and took with them the Egyptian culture, which they had preserved. Right, because the knowledge in those days was centralized in the ancient times. Right, everything they had this this high up wisdom and culture was tied to the wisdom teaching or the mystery teaching of Egypt. The Greeks used to call that Sophia. As such, the people of North Africa were the neighbors of the Egyptians and became the custodians of Egyptian culture, which they spread through considerable portions of Africa, Asia Minor, and Europe. All right. Um, one more thing, connecting this to modern times. It's not a coincidence that once America was established and they develop a currency and when we're going to have a one dollar bill, the most common, um, you know, circulated currency, the one dollar bill, we're going to put this symbol on it. Now, there, there, there were older versions, too, that had a, you know, more simplified version of this. But we're going to have the pyramid with the separated capstone with the eye of providence in it. OK, now the, these um, pictures that you see of this this uh, stone carving, 
has that same image from the one dollar bill. Guess where this was found? It's found in Ecuador. It glows under a black light. It's got the 13 step pyramid with the eye of providence in there. And then also, which is something that would have escaped most people's attention when you looked at the underside of the pyramid, it has a script on it, an ancient script, which has actually been able to be translated by guess what? A person from Mauritania, a historian from Mauritania who knows the, um, you know, knows the tribal history of his people and actually understands some of the ancient languages or can at least understand portions of it. He was able to translate this. Right. And this was found in Ecuador. So the people who formed this government know who the true possessors of the present Moroccan empire were, are, right? Using the words of our prophet, we are the true possessors of the present Moroccan empire. This is also why when the prophet came and spoke to this government, they recognized him. They know who he was. They know he's a legit prophet because he's coming with knowledge that they thought they had wiped off the face of the earth. They hit him in the vaults. They hid this stuff in the vaults. Of the, the vaults of the Vatican, right? Underneath the uh, White House, they thought that nobody knew. Okay. Also, one more example of the um, cataclysms being spoken of this here in chapter 47 of our Quran, we're saying. Uh, their dominion and inhabitation extended from Northeast and Southwest Africa across the great Atlantis, even unto the present North, South and Central America, and also Mexico and the Atlantis islands before the great earthquake, which caused the great Atlantic ocean. The Toronto manuscript actually describes this great earthquake. It describes these cataclysms that were witnessed by the indigenous people there. Now you can actually, um, you can actually find, um, translations of the Toronto manuscript. Um, it's this, um, this situation is also described in the book Queen Mu and the Egyptian Sphinx by Augustus of Plungeon. And these are people in that Yucatan Peninsula, right? The, the ancient Mayans or the ancient Olmec people describing, witnessing lands rising above the sea, lands sinking beneath the sea, people being separated from each other, people perishing. They witnessed that happen and they wrote about it in a um, scroll called the Troano Manuscript. The only reason the Troano Manuscript survived that we know about it is because it was smuggled out of the Yucatan, which is in Mexico, and smuggled into, into Europe. Why did it have to get smuggled out? Because the Spanish came in burning everything. If they didn't burn it, it disappeared, meaning it went to the Vatican vaults. Right. And so this is basically the mission the Jesuit priests had when they come in there, you know, to destroy and conceal. Right. But you actually had eyewitness description that you can actually physically get copies of. It's still here. It is this eyewitness descriptions. So that means that maybe possibly these cataclysms didn't happen that long ago and that long ago i don't know that that could be five thousand years four thousand 
maybe more, maybe 10,000 years ago. Don't know how long it happened ago. All we know is that people witnessed it. They wrote about it. All right. Um, just some more um, examples, right? The indigenous people described coming here before the great earthquake. They described coming here to spread the colonies of Atlantis, right? So when, um, when the Spanish got here, when they went to um, Tino, uh, T I don't even know how to pronounce T T E N O C H T I L A N um, in Mexico, where you have uh, one of the great pyramids. Um, they had, I think that land before they, the indigenous developed it, it was like swamp land, right? But they turned it into floating marshes, floating gardens, right? They, they, they actually turned it into something stunning. Like the indigenous, I mean, excuse me, the, um, the Spaniards, when they got there, it was like amazing. It was like even more amazing than Venice, Italy, where you have um, all of the canals, because this is basically what they had created. And so the Spaniards described it as being Moorish architecture. This picture down here is like an um, engraving or, or um, drawing showing the um, indigenous, showing their nobility and their buildings, right? So these buildings look like what you would see in Europe. This is what they would depict themselves as having. This is what the indigenous had when they arrived, okay? And they had canals, they had floating gardens, and the city was amazing. They're just describing how they had 300,000 inhabitants. They had freshwater aqueducts. They had canals laced with canals carefully paved streets adorned with arcaded squares twice as big as salamancas which would have been in spain um you know just spain at that time was advanced um serviced by a marketplace where seventy thousand indians daily bought and sold thousands of different products so all of this stuff was going on 300,000 inhabitants at that time, you know, it was a major city and it was paved, paved streets. But that's not all, right? They also, those same people spoke about how they modeled their city after the lost capital of their original homeland. <clears throat> they said their original homeland was situated on an island in the middle of a lake surrounded by rings of canals and interconnecting dams, all right? It says migrant Chimeks serving in the Toltec army who called themselves Aztecs after the mythical home in Aztlan. They built the city of T-E-N-O-C-H-T-I-T-L-A-N, Tenochtlan, Tenochtlan on, on a marshy island in the Lake of the Moon. So they built this to model it after their homeland and they named themselves Aztecs after their mythical home in Aztlan. Aztlan, okay? And they, 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 their homeland was an island in the middle of a lake surrounded by rings of canals. So y'all saw that before. You saw that with the de ancient description of Atlantis. And this is what they're saying they came from. They even got that Aztlan in there, Atlantis, Atlo. They got that in there, right? So this is what they describe themselves. This is why I'm saying, you know, Trump's 
telling the African Americans to understand their history, or you will go back to it again. So he's letting it be known that if you don't know who you are, you're going back into slavery, basically. Basically, if you don't know who you are, you're going back into slavery, right? So a lot of the indigenous people, the Aztecs weren't the only ones have these descriptions of themselves coming from another land. And even this description being in an island surrounded by <clears throat> by um, by uh, rings of land and canals. So they have this. Um, this is just another example. Right. But if you know who you are now, you can trace yourself back through history. That doesn't apply to everyone, but specifically for the Moorish Americans, we can trace ourselves back. All right. Um, how did we get in this situation? Just real briefly, speaking about William Penn, we spoke about how he said the indigenous people here were spoken of as um, Indians, Moors and Negroes. Guess what? And, and, and he was the founder of Pennsylvania. He came here and he stroke up a, a decent um, rapport with the indigenous people, specifically the Delaware, who were also referred to as the Delaware Indians. He learned to speak the Lenape language, the Lene Lenape. And um, <clears throat> this guy, Chief Tomini, right, he actually adopted William Penn into the tribe because he gave him a nickname, right? His nickname was Mequon. Why'd he get the nickname Mequon? He's trying to explain his name to them in their language. His name is Penn. Mequon was the name for, uh, for, for a feather that they'll dip in ink because they're civilized. They dip the feather in ink to sign their name or to make their, you know, to, to write. So they called him Mequon. And when they gave him that, they adopted him into the tribe. They're like, okay, now he can come in, he can have land here, right? And so because he did that, Tommy's bringing them in, teaching them their ways, teaching them even their way of governing. He was later on honored. He's still like the chief, um, basically he's the patron saint of America. How many people know this? This is why you have Tommy Hall, this statue, this right here on the left, this is in Philadelphia, We'll speak on that later, right? And this statue is huge. And if you look at the statue, you can see he's wearing a fez. This is a form of a fez that he has on, right? So he's got this fez. He's Chief Tommy, and he's seen as the patron saint of America. They have Tommy Hall in New York. Tommy Hall was where all the European immigrants, like specifically Irish, because you had a lot of Irish coming in. Um, in the early 20th century. So all the European immigrants are coming in and they're coming through Tommany Hall in New York. And they, when they came into Tommany Hall, they learned how to be American. They learned civics. They learned how to participate in local government, right? And they call it Tommany Hall because Tommany Hall is the patron saint of America. And when you look at Tommany Hall, it has the Liberty Cap or the Fez, the Tarbouche, it's a red headdress with the tassel. It's also got an Islamic dome on the front of the building. And then it has the tassel. So all of these things are hidden in plain sight. You're not going to know what that is if you don't know who you are, right? Then Tommy, he's he's in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is Shek Amexum. 
all right this is important to know you know this is a painting right um <clears throat> it's supposed to be a depiction of the treaty of Penn with the indians in 1771 so this is even before uh the united states uh, declared their independence right the treaty between william penn and his delegation and a native american tribe he's the founder of pennsylvania so he signs a, a treaty with them and they're giving him a certain portion of land and we're going to live together in peace and harmony right adopt him into the tribe he's mequon all right this treaty though was called the treaty of shekamexum and why because it was signed at shekamexum shekamexum is where philadelphia present-day philadelphia is philadelphia was the first capital of this country why because shekamexum was the capital for the indigenous people all right they called it shekamexum and this is where this treaty was signed by william penn and the indians but um this place where they met shekamexum this was their capital this is shekamexum means um to make a chief or king place this is where the sheiks the sheiks of a mexum met the chiefs of a mexum chief sheik linguistically the same thing so this is where the chiefs of a mexum met and and where they made laws right this was the capital um it says uh it was where the Lene, the lenape crowned their mini family sakima which is chief sakima sheiks sheiks of a maxim right so they met here at sheka maxim um others also interpreted the name to mean the place of eels and then they're saying the refers to it being an important summer fishing spot for native americans eels but you know in the early times with the prophet when he um returned our our um when he returned our our uh names to us are um <coughs> and I, I shouldn't say names but our titles our um titles of ill and bay to us they pronounce l as eel right a lot of more still pronounce it eel eel and bay right so shekamexum was the place of the eels where the eels came to meet the sheiks of a mexum all right so he, he signed the treaty under an ancient elm tree and shekamexum and Shekamexum, of course, they now call it Philadelphia. All right. But sharing this because, um, you know, this is stuff that we don't know, right? But you had the conference held at Shekamexum under the elm tree. And this is where the, the sheiks of Amexum were crowned, right? Shekamexum signifies the place of eels, right? So none of this stuff is by chance. All right, um, this picture is up here on the screen. This is actually um, something that we saw at the uh, Masonic Museum in Alexandria, Virginia, right? So at the um, Masonic Museum, like up on the top floor, there's a painting and it's painting, you know, it's real easy to walk by it and not see nothing or think anything of it. But this was showing the inauguration of George Washington okay and um in this inauguration of george washington there's some things taking place some things that may go over 
they probably will go over most of our heads. And I just want to point this out. So um, I was trying to zoom in, but I can't. So just going into this picture, um, you, you have George Washington on this boat, taking his tipping his hat, I guess. Um, you have a little indigenous family down in the left-hand corner sitting on the boat, witnessing it. And then you have all of these people, all of these different flags represented, right? And George Washington, everyone seems to be looking at this welcome sign, right? So there's a sign in the left top left-hand corner saying welcome. And then it's got the United States of America flag, stars and stripes. And then on the other side, it's got a solid red flag with a white box that has the pine cone in it. Pine tree, not pine cone. And then it, over the welcome sign, it has the Liberty cap. You can't see it on this one. This is not a good version of it. But the actual painting, that Liberty cap is red. So that's a fez. The Liberty cap is a fez. It's over the welcome sign and it's got the flags flying. The flags are flying in the opposite way of what how we fly our flags um, publicly in the more science temple of America. We fly the flags with the um, U.S. flag in a superior position, which would be in a position that this red flag is flying. The red flag with the pine tree. So we fly it the opposite way because we are not in a superior position. Our nation is in disarray, right? The United States is in a superior position. So their flag is on the left. Our flag is on the right. In this picture, though, the American flag is on the right and the indigenous flag is on the left. Now, I'm going to tell you why this is the indigenous flag, because many people, they say, oh, that's the flag of New England. But yeah, yeah, sure. That's what it says on Wikipedia. But I'm going to tell you why that's the indigenous flag. And we can prove it even using Wikipedia. Once again, you have to know who you are to trace yourself through history. So he's looking at the welcome sign. He's being welcomed in with the liberty cap, the fez, and the indigenous flag in a superior position. He's being welcomed into our nation, meaning the Moors. So let's show you why that red flag with the pine tree that they call the flag of New England, why this is an indigenous flag. So, of course, red. It's, it's all red. The Moroccan flag used to be solid red. Okay. But it has the pine tree, the white box with the pine tree. All right. What does that mean? Why is that pine tree even in there? Let's talk about that. Okay. Hang on a second. <clears throat> All right. So first, uh, the red flag. You also see uh, the Bunker Hill, um, Battle of Bunker Hill. They have a solid red flag, it looks like, flying. It looks like it's solid red. I don't know why it looks blue in this picture, but it's it's actually red, and it's got that same that same flag right with the the pine tree. So they're flying that too at the Battle of Bunker Hill. None of this stuff makes sense by the the common mainstream narrative of history that we're taught. But with the pine tree, you want to look at the symbolism of that. So the pine tree has been symbolic in New England. They're saying since the 16th century, predating the arrival of colonists. Because that would have been in the 1500s. And it's saying after warring for decades, leaders of five nations, the Seneca, 
Cayuga, Onondaga, Onida, and Mohawk buried their weapons beneath a tree planted by the Iroquois Confederacy founder, the Great Peacemaker. Right? Now, the Iroquois had the great law of peace. This is what the Constitution was based off of. And peace is salam. Salam is the root of Islam, by the way. It means peace. So um, the Iroquois founder, the great peacemaker, planted a tree, and they all buried their weapons under it at the Onondaga. The tree of peace is featured in the center of the Hiawatha belt, the Iroquois nation belt. So the colonists, they're saying, later adopted this symbol. But they're saying that this flag, this, this predated the colonists arriving. This is something that the indigenous people had. The pine um, tree was a symbol of this peace, this um, this um, coming together under peace, under this symbol. And this was being flown by the indigenous people. It had multi-tribal support, right, for different tribes across the board showing us. So this is why when they have that red flag with that pine tree, this is a symbol for a nation an indigenous nation, several tribes coming together. Because it still wouldn't make any sense for them to, by you know, flag protocol, to have the US flag on the um on the uh right, and then to have the flag of New England on the left. That wouldn't make any sense. So this was the indigenous flag. All right, the great peacemaker that we were just speaking about. Right, the Iroquois leader. Right now, remember, peace is Islam. Okay, and um, it says by all accounts, the great peacemaker was a prophet who counseled peace among the warring tribes. Okay, and he had that symbol of the pine tree. Right, this came to be associated with him. This is the flag of the Iroquois once again having that pine tree in there. Okay. So um, this was later used and adopted by several of the tribes. So when the Europeans came here, they didn't just make this up. And this is even told to us or shown to us on in Wikipedia. When they came to America, they didn't just make something up. They adopted what the indigenous Americans were already doing. So they're trying to come into their nation. All right. So that pine tree, that's a symbol that predated the European colonists. All right. And that was all over, um, especially the East Coast with the tribes. All right. Um, Algonquin meant children of the pine tree. So this was something that the colonists adopted when they were coming into this land. And then going all the way down to um, the southeastern United States, you had this battle that occurred at Fort Negro, 1816. I want to give you the description from that. In the evening, a deputation of chiefs went into the fort and demanded a surrender, but they were ambushed and treated with the utmost contempt. The black chief heaped much abuse on the Americans and said he had been left in command of the fort by the British government and that he would sink any American vessels that should attempt to pass by and would blow up the fort if he could not defend it. The chief also informed me that the Negroes had a red flag, a solid red flag, 
and the English Jack was flying over it, right? So who who were these people? And the old flag, remember, as I said before, the Moroccan Empire, solid red flag. They don't teach us this in Black history. They don't teach anyone this. You got another example. This is from uh, a, a Yamasi, a battle with the Yamasi and the English colonists. And once again, they're flying a solid red flag. And if you look closely, you see they have fezes and turbans. So we're looking at this. You can't see that really good, but it looks like it could be a red fez. Here, you see what looks like a white fez on the right. And then behind him, you see a man wearing a white turban with a feather in it. It looks like he has a robe on. All right. So this is this is important because no one's telling you this. There's no reason for the Yamasi to be flying a red flag and wearing feathers and turbans. No reason given the common narrative. Prophet delivered us from darkness. Right. So this is why now we have to reveal the light. There are people who know who we are. They wear our headdress in their meetings or in their gatherings because they are the custodians. They're, they have to sit in the seat. The Moors are the true rulers. So somebody has to sit in that seat. The custodians are sitting in that seat saying that they're the Moors so that they can continue to rule. This is why you have motivation for some to keep the lies. Now, this was up on the screen. This is a... Um, just an excerpt from a meeting that occurred in 1832 in the Virginia House of Delegates where Henry Berry is speaking and saying that we have as far as possible closed every avenue by which light may enter the slave's mind. If we could extinguish the capacity to see the light, our work would be complete. They would be then on the level with the beast of the field and we should be safe. All right. And he's speaking about the so-called Negro extinguishing the capacity to see the light. So he's speaking esoterically, right? The people who understand what he's saying, these people are in um, secret societies and he's speaking directly to them, all right? If we could extinguish their capacity to see the light, they would be, then be on the level of the beast in the field. And this is being spoken of by lawmakers. So the prophet said he used this same language. It drew Ali in time. He said in 1774, your light was cut off from the ancient Moors. And that is why Allah sent to us a prophet in 1886 to prepare the light that was out. In 1925, the prophet said, I have mended the broken wires and have connected them with the higher power. So come on, Asiatics, don't you want to go? All right. So our own people, some of the Asiatics out here, will be the ones, the main ones who's fighting against it. They don't even have the capacity to see the light. All right. Just some more examples of the prophet speaking about bringing us out of darkness into light. They have fallen from the true light into utter darkness and sin. And that is, there's not a nation on earth today that will recognize them socially, politically, religiously, or economically, ETC. Right. In their present condition. There's no way out of this without reconnecting. The prophet took the covers off of all the secret organizations. Right. George Washington allegedly 
the Continental Congress before the United States was even formed in 1774. Allegedly, he said, we've taken or we, we must remove the turbans and fezes off their head, the sandals off their feet. The Moors won't know who they are, right? It'll be a, a legacy that'll be passed down of shame, confusion, and slavery. So when Washington cut down that red flag, he was cutting down the cherry tree, right? Cutting us off from our true history. What is that flag that's on the floor behind this man? This red flag laying on the floor, indiscreet, right? Easy to overlook that, not even see that. But it's just like that picture that I showed you from the um, George Washington Masonic Museum in Alexandria, Virginia. You won't even see that, right? Right. It, it makes no sense. Like he's he's being this is this is his inauguration. He's facing the welcome sign with the fez over it. And then the flags are being flown in the opposite position, right? So this is not a lie, people. This is why our symbols are all over the place everywhere that we go. No one is going to come and tell you this. Let me share this real quick, right? Um, let me see if we can get this video to play out loud just briefly so you can hear how people play this stuff down but it doesn't matter the truth is out now hopefully everybody can see right let me see turn this up all right And um, it's not a coincidence that when you look at the so that's just wanted to show that just one last time, um, because you know people will play this stuff down. They will act like it's not a big deal. It's not what it's obviously what it seems to be. But look, this stuff. There's there's no reason for them to be speaking about America um, and showing how it's tied in linguistically to Morocco, Morocco, the indigenous people referring to it as Morocco, Morocco, Amaraka. All right. I mean, just you, you can see this with your own eyes, right? You don't need anyone to point this out to you. These aren't coincidences, right? The Shriners having their Shriner parade, riding around in Corvettes. Why do they ride around in Corvettes? Because the Corvette was the small, fast ship that the Moors would sail in, right, when they would go to capture the European um, ships, go and raid their ships. And they're still keeping this stuff going to this day. Right, we see this all over the place. Um, this medallion that you see here, this is something that's like awarded to people to to diplomats, like almost like when they're knighting somebody, right? The Queen of England, she gives this to diplomats, and then if you look closely at the medal, you see that it's a it's a um, pale skinned European with his head on a moor. 
Okay. This is how they maintain their dominion. We must squash the more. Keep them down. How long has this been going on? All right. Um, people will tell you none of this stuff makes any, you know, it's it's all lies. It's, it's not true. Uh, this guy, this is a picture of somebody who's a member of the Mystic Order of the Veiled Prophets. And he's got, they wear a black fez with a red tassel. And his, his fez says El Bay on it. Like, come on. Right there, their uh, greetings is Assalamu Alaikum. This is speaking about the or the um, mystic shrine, right? The salutation of distinction among the faithful is assalamu alaikum, to which is returned the gracious wish, alaikum assalam. Okay, speaking about the the uh, the symbols on their fez, they have the. It's saying here that they have the the claw of the royal Bengal tiger, and then they have the star under it. In actuality, though. It's the star and crescent turned on its side. Why? Because they have taken over, right? They, they turned it over to the side because Christianity has taken over. So they turned that symbol, that international symbol of Islam on its side and they put that on the um, front of their fez. So it's not like it's being done to honor you. It's mocking you um, in actuality they're supposed to be assisting us in their in our rise, but it's obvious to, at this point that they've taken the position of holding us down. <clears throat> so don't ever think they're honoring you, paying homage to you. No, it's the opposite of that. No respect given at all, right? So, um, yeah, uh, there's a great book, Golden Age of the Moors by Even Van Sertima. Um, it's, it's out of print, so it's hard to find copies of it, but I advise getting that. Um, this is just symbolism. You see the prophet, he makes sure that when he takes his picture, his hand is revealed and you see all of these examples of people with the hidden hand, right? None of these things are just being done. They're not just accidents. Okay. So this was just to explain the basics, who the Moors are why we're Moors, why we say America's Morocco. You've seen, um, if, if you didn't see the whole video, go back, look through it. Um, we spoke about several of the Phoenician artifacts, who the Phoenicians are. You also have the indigenous people here depicting themselves wearing the royal headdress. Um, it's, it's pretty much open and shut at this point. Anyone who's trying to go against it, I don't know what's going on with you at this point especially if you've watched this entire video. Um, I ask everybody that's watching this to hit the like or um, like or love button and to share this, help to get this out there. And um, on that note, peace and love everybody. You have a great day, great evening. Come back, watch this, share it again. Um, we also have the uh, some of the sources in the description of the video if you want to look further into this and on that note we out peace and love <laughs>